Dragi naši knjigoljubci, nadam se da ste se okupali, odmorili i da ste spremni za nove radne pobjede, pa tako i za nove epizode podcasta između redaka. Ovu sezonu ponovno započinjemo sa jednim inozemnim autorom. Ona je došla iz daleke Amerike na naš Liburnikon, a danas je ovdje s nama u našem studiju. Iza nje je deset knjiga, od kojih je pet prevedeno na hrvatski, a o danjim knjigama, prijevodima i planovima pričat će nam ona sama, Lainey Taylor. Uh, so, Lainey, welcome to Croatia, welcome to Zagreb, and welcome to our studio. Thank you so much for coming here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Uh, how long have you been here for? Um, just, you know, uh, about a week. Okay, so, but Zagreb wasn't your first destination, right? You were here for another event, so tell me a uh-huh. bit about it. I was here for Liburnikon, thank okay. you, and Naupatia, and it was uh, really beautiful, um, you know, this festival for games and fantasy held uh, in the faculty for tourism there, right on the sea, and um, we spent, my, my daughter came with me, and we spent several days swimming and walking along the beach there, and uh, it was gorgeous, so we had a wonderful time. Yeah, it's really practical to come to Croatia during the summer, especially in Opatia, so it was really nice of the organizer to I to know, you. you know, you don't very often get a festival invitation to a seaside resort in the summer. <laughs> it's not, um, it's not common, so I was definitely going to come to this. Yeah, because our, I think that our biggest convention is Feracon and it's held in Zagreb in May. So yeah, yeah just ignore that one. <laughs> oh no, I'd love to come for that too. But especially, you know, uh, to be able to come somewhere during the holiday, the high season is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, do you usually go to conventions in the US or Europe? Yeah, I mean, I love being invited to, uh, to one's international festivals and you know the last few years has been not much um, <laughs> but also I haven't had a new book come out in the last few years either but uh, I'm a, I'm not a very I'm not a fast writer and I feel like I'm often I'm usually late with my books and so I have there have been several times where I got an invitation that I really would love to say yes to but I had to stay home and finish my book instead <laughs> and so I had to say no to places like Singapore and to go to Colombia and Spain and I did I have gone to some cool ones too but there were some that still hurt that I had to say no to I'm like just write faster <laughs> um, and I thought for sure with my current book that I would be done uh, before this but no <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk more about it uh, afterwards, <laughs> about the writer's blog and everything you're really open yeah. um, on your blog. Uh, but let's stay uh, at the conventions for j- just a little yeah, while. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, how important are the conventions for fans of uh, SF for mm-hmm. science fiction or fantasy and also for the authors? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how important they are, but they're really fun and we love them. <laughs> I mean, uh, and they've gotten so popular. I mean, there are so many different fan-oriented conventions and they're not all literature focused, but I think even the big comics and games and fantasy conventions have, a lot of them have added a good literature track, uh, which is nice. Um, you know, Luca in, in Italy mm-hmm. uh, that I get to go to this year. Um, they are, you know, more, I think, about com- uh, comics and games, but now they, they also celebrate books now, too. Um, so that's great. And all the writers that I know, you know, love to go to any kind of conference or convention to see each other, partly, and to get to interact with readers. You know, just have that, the interaction makes it feel real, you know. Uh, that there's somebody out there reading the books. Of course, now it's, I think, you know, nowadays, 
you interact with readers in so many yeah. ways. But yeah, but the conventions are just so fun. There are also cosplay competitions. Have you ever seen someone cosplaying a character from your books? Yes, that was one thing. When Daughter of Smoke and Bone came out, I didn't really consciously think about those kind of things like making visually distinct characters and items. Um, but after I saw what people were doing with that, I realized, like, wow, you, this is really something to strive to do, to make a character that looks distinct so it's easy for cosplay. And because it was so cool seeing readers come to book signings with Carew's blue hair and the necklace. <laughs> and she was a, she's an easy cosplay, so that makes it better. With, with my next books, um, it's a little bit more intense because you have to actually color your skin. <laughs> so you have to be more committed. Um, but still, it's still great. And I, I love to see that. Um, it's super fun. This was something I, I had just was I hadn't thought about. It didn't occur to me that, to think that about cosplay. Like that. Really, yeah. yeah, at first, or yeah, a lot of the things I had my writer dreams. You know, things like getting seeing my books in translation, and but there were things I didn't even think to dream about. And now I'm like, that are some of my favorite things. So. Yeah, you mentioned in your bio that you wanted to be a writer since you were little, mm -hmm. and your first book was published in your 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, have you been writing before that, or have you started writing in your 30s? Um, I always, you know, was thought, thinking of writing and maybe writing a little bit and thinking of myself as a writer, but uh, after college, you know, in my 20s, and I did, I did write in college and took writing classes and wrote some stories, but I, it didn't really happen for me because I was a literature major and when I graduated, um, you know, I was reading literature and literary fiction and when I tried to write, I, you know, tried to write the kind of books that I was reading, I just really didn't find anything to say and so, and I just felt young and inexperienced and had nothing to contribute, sort of, so, um, I made excuses, I think, for myself not writing. And also I was working at a publishing house in that time and I was on <laughs> a computer all day, and, you know, editing travel guidebooks actually. And um, the end of the day, I just didn't want to write. So, and then time just passes on you. And, uh, and then sometime, I went back to school to study illustration. And then sometime in there, I began to read fantasy books again. And uh, I think I was away from university enough, long enough, that I could start reading again the books that I had loved as a younger reader. And I started reading books for young readers, um, YA and middle grade, which hadn't really been as, I mean, there hadn't been as many when I was a young adult. Um, and it, it had just exploded in that time. And I knew it because I was a bookseller as well. I knew the books, but I hadn't really read them. And so I started finding these authors like uh, Garth Nix, um, uh, Philip Pullman, mm -hmm. and, uh, and just really fell in love with fantasy again and with books for young readers. And when I thought about writing in that frame of mind, there was no limit, you know? I, it wasn't difficult to think of what to write about. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, I had found my genre and so then in my late 20s I started writing but it still took me a long time because I do struggle with perfectionism and this sort of you know really my brain is very difficult to uh, to motivate or to you know to, to it's hard to explain but the perfectionism I define it as like you know you you get held in place by anything you perceive as imperfect and everything is imperfect. So it's really hard to move forward and write a whole book. <laughs> you just want to keep 
fixing, revising the things you've already written. And so it feels like kind of like OCD, obsessive compulsive, and it's, um, it's really challenging. Have you been diagnosed? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't have it in other things. So I don't just want to call it OCD, but that's like the closest I can describe it. And there must be some shades of, you know, uh, but I have been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, which is also fun, <laughs> which is also a motivational um, Yeah, especially deficit. when you have to sit in one place, mm -hmm. yeah, and write something for hours. Yeah, or it, you know, and it, it actually does, um, the, the, yeah, the things, staying on a, a project for a long time can be, can be a challenge. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of women especially, don't get diagnosed until they're older. And... Um, it's changing anyways so <laughs> I have a lot of brain challenges to overcome but I am um, in my 30s early 30s I went to a writing conference for the first time and it was uh, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and it's a big international organization and there's a ton of conferences in the US and then all of a sudden I was surrounded by people who were finishing writing their books and there was editors and agents and um, illustrators and publishers and you know speaking and it became really clear, okay, these editors are real people and they really need books. <laughs> and these people are actually writing those books. Mm -hmm. And can I really not do this? And, you know, so it, it gave me that sort of re reality check, I guess, like to finally be able to uh, focus and, and finish my first book. Uh, do you think it was harder for you because you were in the publishing business and also book selling business or you had some context that made it easier. I mean, yeah. harder in uh, the context of uh, being under pressure of yeah. sending someone your work, maybe someone you potentially work with. I don't think so because the the publisher that I worked for was Lonely Planet, and uh, they're so separate from uh, fiction, mainstream publishing. There would be like no crossover at all. Um, so like. I, I guess I never really thought of it in the same way. They were just like their own thing, but um, it made me a better, uh, better editor, self-editor maybe. But I, I, there wouldn't be any of the same people. Um, but it, it did maybe take away from my writing time. I would say it was the only thing during those years. But uh, but yeah, completely different industry. Okay, so, so yeah. it wasn't you weren't under the pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, you published your first book in two thousand four. Uh, I think, and it was a graphic novel yeah. which your husband <laughs> illustrated. What happened after that? So, um, so that was called The Drowned, and it was with Image Comics. And uh, we had thought of doing another one, and we actually uh, it was going to be a vampire graphic novel. And um, we were, we thought, well, let's, let's set it in Prague. So we went and traveled to Prague and pretended like we were, you know, like the vampires lived there, and went around the city and uh, did our research, and then um, had a great time. And then. Uh, we didn't end up doing that book because at the time I got some interest in my first novel from an editor and so I focused on finishing that. It was my first, and it was for younger readers. It's a fairy book called Blackbringer. And um, so then that other thing fell away. But then a few years later when I started writing this other book, um, I decided to set it in Prague and I had all of that research and, you know, looking at the city as a, as a setting was in my head already. So that became the setting for Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Yeah. And um, this kind of inspired you for the, the trilogy of Daughter of Smoke and Bone? I, the idea came uh, com completely from characters. And it was this one day, I call it like this mythic day in my writing life where I had been struggling with another book I tried to write. Um, and it was science fiction and I call it my ballerinas in space book. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is being mean to myself. I think it would have been a cool book, but I couldn't get into it. And so I was not having any fun writing. And um, uh, my house was very clean because every time <laughs> instead of writing, I you would... You said it, you don't have OCD, so... <laughs> right. Um, so I was really struggling and writing was such a chore that I thought, okay, I'm going to give myself a day to write something else just for fun. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but immediately these characters appeared and it was this blue haired girl and her father who was a monster. And, and he, he had a, a shop where he traded wishes for teeth and all these things. And I, I, it was like the best writing day I wrote all day. And it all just seemed like it came from nowhere. And it was, it never had happened to me before. And so it was very exciting. And, um, and then later as I was developing it and thinking where, would it be set? Then I thought, oh, Prague is perfect. But it wasn't like the, the first thing. And also the romantic relationship also wasn't the first thing. The first thing was the father-daughter relationship and Carew. Yeah. Well, did you always have in mind that it will be a trilogy or that happened afterwards? Mm. I knew when I came, when I, when I could see the end of the first book, I knew it was more than one book, but I didn't know how many books. So when I sold it to my publisher, it was, uh, the deal was for three books and the first two would definitely be connected and then the third would be to be determined. And so I was partway through the second book when I was like, I'm gonna need another book. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I was very much figuring it out as I go. You published uh, your whole trilogy, three books in span of four years and then I mean, at least Goodreads is saying that. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. I, you know, in my mind it's five, but that's probably including writing time. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, but yeah, still, it's a very short period mm -hmm. of time. And now you're writing a lot of, uh, about writer's block. I guess you didn't have writer's block when you I, were writing. No, I did. I always did. Or um, you were very pressured by the deadline your publisher put on mm -hmm. you. And, and even then, uh, you know, in YA, there is uh, YA and publishing um, in, in the US, at least there's definitely a pressure to have a book a year. And I didn't, I, I didn't make that deadline. Um, for book three, I think it was two years or a year and a half or something, and that felt like a failure, you know? And then with Strange the Dreamer as well, there was longer than a year in between, and that there's always a lot of pressure to get them out in a year, and that's just not enough time for me. Um, and then, the, my, yeah, my current book, I mean, and I've always had, and I think when I talk about writer's block, it's not necessarily the kind of, I think a lot of people picture like where you can't write at all for months or years and it's not like that for me it's just that it's always a challenge and there's just it's it's exhausting because you're fighting with yourself to get your work done and um and you know there's a lot of writers that don't experience that that don't have whatever neuros you know neurology yeah. going on that some of us do that they're like oh it doesn't exist it's just that and they like to say writer's block doesn't exist it's just that you have taken a wrong turn in the story and you haven't figured out how you know or all these things and that's great that that's what it's like for them but i it frustrates me so much because it's like saying depression doesn't exist because you haven't had it before and mm -hmm. i just i'm always i just want to be very vocal about it because i I, you know, I want people to realize it's not okay to say that, to negate other people's experience just because it's not your experience. And I think a lot of people, they just don't, they don't think of it. They're not being intentionally insensitive. They just, they believe it's true and it's not true. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people really struggle with, uh, with getting creativity, not just writing, creativity on the page. Um, there's a lot of mental blocks and, um, 
I've read Michelle Obama biography and she was uh, mentioning um, that her husband Barack Obama actually missed the deadline for his first book I think and he had to pay the fee because he got some advance for the book so it was really comforting mm. to read that one Barack Obama missed his deadline so yeah I didn't know that he had to, I didn't know any of that but it's really hard to imagine that they made him pay a fee isn't it I don't know. I, I will. I will find a quote and. Oh, I believe you. Betty. <laughs> just, but it's like really hard to believe that, like that that really I mean, happened. You know? That was actually before he was president. So. Oh, it wasn't the one that came out after. No, 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 no. Oh, I thought you meant like no, his memoir. I don't know if it was. Did he ever have a book written. before? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I will check it afterwards. Because he had that, you know, big, high-profile book after and. I'm like, no publisher would like risk it. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, he probably did have a book before. Okay, yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, long story short, he missed the deadline as well. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Me and Barack. <laughs> okay, so Strange the Dreamer uh, came afterwards, and it was actually a duology. Uh, was it because it was really hard to write a trilogy or is it because you just planned it to be duology? Um, neither. It's actually very funny. It was supposed to be a standalone because it's very hard to write a trilogy. <laughs> okay. And then it turned out to not be a standalone and I had to tell my publisher, um, actually, I think it's going to be two books. And they, they, if you, if that's okay with you, and they said yes, that was okay. And um, the other thing is that it wasn't actually supposed to be Strange the Dreamer. It was supposed to be Muse of Nightmares, and it was always originally conceived as Sarai's story. But part of my process is, you know, at the beginning, like I think I know a lot about the story, but I have to find the right way into it. And um, and until I find the right way into it, it doesn't. I can't move forward. You know, I'm like ah, oh, that's not it yet. That's not setting up the right story. And th I was writing different openings for months, months, and uh, it wasn't until I was writing a chapter that introduced this librarian. First he was other things, but he became a librarian, and I wanted to try seeing the world through his eyes first, and he was always going to be the love interest, but not the main character. And uh, as I got to know him so that we could lead into the story in his perspective, he stole the whole book and became the main character <laughs> and that was Laszlo Strange and so um, that the moment that it happened is when I wrote a paragraph where it said that um, when he his first day on the job as a junior librarian uh, a huge volume of fairy tales fell off the shelf and broke his nose and at that moment I knew that he was the main character because he was literally shaped by stories you know in every way we already know that he's obsessed with myths and and legends and fairy tales and and then at that moment I was like okay, now this is his story. And then um, part of thinking about that was conceiving that it was a duology and that the second book would be, uh, you know, they're both split POV, but it's the first book is his journey, his hero's journey, and the second book is, is Sarai's, so. So yeah, I, I mean, I tried, I tried to know upfront what a book is going to be, but I can't know. And I've, um, you know, it drives me crazy because I want it to be clear and simple, but uh, I've realized over the years that um, that the books that I need to write are the kind of book that I don't know upfront exactly what's going to happen because that doesn't hold my interest. And if I do know exactly what's going to happen and think this is going to be easy, um, I just sabotage myself because I get bored in the middle and then I change everything. So something else <laughs> happens. Uh, but I really, I'm, you know, that's, that's, that's simplifying it. But I think for every book, it's me working something out and figuring out the most the questions that are 
really haunting me in that period of the world and um, and trying to write something that's much bigger and and weirder and I don't know uh, deeper I guess than I could think of at the beginning like I have to take this whole journey uh, and you know be many different people over the course of a few years and and figure out what the book needs to be it's not something like if it's I just don't want to write the book that I could write in one month or like I, I need to find I need to create create opportunities for for this for the book to grow in strange and unexpected ways and then sort of follow it and see what happens and and, and be surprised by it or else um, it's just not it's that's not interesting to me there are a lot of authors who are uh, researching the tropes that are popular now and then they write a book in the span of a couple of months. You're not that author. No, but I, I would love to also do that. You know, and say like <laughs> nothing. I, Wouldn't I, we all? <laughs> I mean, I would love to still write the books when I write them, but, uh, but there's, I definitely would love to also find out somehow to leave, well, I don't know, leave my brain um, like in the desk drawer, <laughs> the, the part of it that's so that worries too much, and write something easier for fun. I would say not to say that those books are easy, but I make it more difficult for myself, and I would like to somehow shut off that that lever and just write a different kind of book that is more of a formula and just more playful, and um, and maybe not be late with it. <laughs> you know, all those things I would love to. I would love to do that um, as well and just write different kinds of books um, because I love those kind of, I love books that are, you know, they just are what they are and they are a, a formula and they're colorful and you, they, you know, they're the tropes and that I, I really think that tropes are, um, I, I think of tropes as like a, a plug that plugs straight into our chest, you know, like, a, in, like we're, it's something we need and there's a place that it just gives us emotionally exactly what we need at the right time. And like tropes just do that, this like, extremely direct connection emotionally. And that just, I think that's great. And I love that. And, um, and I would like to play around with that kind of writing more. Well, I think that your books were cer certainly plugged into someone's <laughs> chest or heart because uh, for the first book, Daughter of Smoke and Bone, you have more than 300,000 reviews on Goodreads. Wow. Is it motivational or are you under the pressure because of those numbers? No, I, I think uh, that is just motivational. I think I don't like to hear sales numbers because um, yeah, reviews sound better. <laughs> yeah, or and, and, and not even like reading reviews necessarily, but those kind of numbers, that sounds great. But sometimes, um, sometimes you hear numbers that the publisher might be happy with, but like the only numbers you usually hear are things like, you know, the public only ever hears JK Rowling numbers or whatever. So anything else, even if it's good in the publishing world, it doesn't sound good. And so then if you hear your sales numbers, it can uh, not necessarily be inspiring. Um, I don't like to think about those things, but I do like, I, I really like knowing that people are reading them and yeah. Well, Croatia is a really small market and we have a saying that when you sell a thousand books, it's like really good in, in terms of Croatian books. Yeah. So yeah. That's great. <laughs> and it sounds really terrible, a thousand books like. I mean, it's really, the context is really hard to, to achieve because you only, yeah, you only hear those big numbers. And so yeah. I think thousand, that sounds, that's a nice number. <laughs> 
you write fantasy novels, but also fantasy novels for young adults. How come you started writing for young adults and not adult adults? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I don't have a great answer for that, but I think that partly it's because when I found my way back to fantasy, it was through books for young adults. Um, like the authors that I mentioned, like Garth Nix and Philip Pullman, and you know, a lot of this was at the time certainly triggered by the success of Harry Potter. It was in that time when it was just, you know, it was much, became prominent in a new way um, at a time in my life when I had become receptive to fantasy again and purged off my literary snobbery. And, um, and those books were for young readers and it just felt natural. And I think, I don't think many young adult authors exactly know why it appeals to them, why that's their their right voice, um, but it felt right for me. And um, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like, especially Daughter of Smoke and Bone, I was writing for you know my 17-year-old self. And maybe I still am partly, you know, I, I don't know, my 17-year-old self and my current self side by side, <laughs> we're not that different. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know exactly. I think just some of us, I've heard it said that we have a, a set sort of, I don't know, emotional age or whatever that sort of stays consistent. And some people are never really young. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, some people um, are, always, are always young. And, but I think that that time, that time of our lives is, is just an incredibly interesting and fraught time when we're figuring out who we are and everything is new and exciting and terrifying and dramatic and so it's a really as an author um it's a great uh, it's a it's a great character age but also um as an author it's a great fandom age so i didn't think about that before but it just turns out that the young adult readership is really awesome and that's not only teens it's teens and adults who read ya and they're just great and i think fantasy fans are also great and so it's like the best of both worlds. Um, so it's been really nice to be part of that. Whereas I think, you know, fans of mainstream fiction, it's just not the same. There's not the same passion. Well, you've mentioned that uh, older adults are also reading young adult books. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that is? I mean, I've been reading young adult books for months now and exclusively young adult books and I, I can't put my finger why. Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly why either. I think that's one of those questions. But I think, again, it's partly that this time of life is, um, is thrilling and I think also, and this goes along with, well, in a way with genre, but uh, writing for young people, you have to be very mindful that you could lose your reader in one page if you bore them. And so there's not a lot of self-indulgence in YA books. Like it, even in adult fantasy, you know, they get so long and you might have a whole chapter on the economic system of this country or whatever. <laughs> You're never going to find that in YA. It's like they're page, they're almost always page turners. So there's that. Um, and they're usually hopeful. So there's that, you know, uh, even if they deal with really difficult subject matter, I think most people who write for young people are, writing from a place of wanting to help and so they're not generally going to be you're not going to leave them feeling worse than you store when you started and so i think that's a big part of it is that um there's a sort of balm to it it, it uh it gives you hope in some way i think most of them um try to leave you with a feeling of hope and so i think you know when you get there's a lot of grim dark in the world and especially in fantasy and um 
well, not maybe especially in maybe literary fiction, especially, <laughs> um, but in in YA, it tends to be more positive because we are trying to help young readers get through their lives and and see themselves and and identify and 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 then feel stronger and able to move forward. Oh, which is something we all need, especially in the last two years. So yeah, that's yeah. why I'm reading. Yeah, right. Novels. Yeah, thank it is, you. It's, it's healing. It's healing in some way. <laughs> You mentioned that you love to see your books translated. In how many languages have your books been translated? And what does it mean to have your books translated in Croatian? Ah, yes. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm not great with remembering numbers. I'm always telling, asking my agent, how many is it again? <laughs> but I think Daughter of Smoke and Bone is in maybe 38 languages, okay, which, is, um, which is so cool. And I love, that was definitely one of my big author dreams is like to have, you know, a shelf of my own editions and then foreign editions. And, and when I started, my first three books only got a few translations and that was great. But then when Daughter of Smoke and Bone, I started receiving those. I needed to use a different bookshelf and um, it was just so exciting getting those in the mail and arranging them on the shelf and um, and I didn't I never actually received the daughter of smoke and bone in Croatian I never really? I don't know what happened why I don't know but I'm bringing them home with me I just wanted to tell you we will give it to you. <laughs> I have um, books two and three I don't think I have book one but uh, but I definitely got strange and muse and I the covers are gorgeous and that's been one of the covers actually that uh, on Instagram and stuff that people have responded to the most um, they really love those covers so that's I cool. would ask you what do you think about translation but obviously you can't think anything but I know that you're a fan of uh, translator Yelena Pataki so yes. we have to give her an honorary mention because she's a fan of this show so uh, yes well hi Yelena and it was really great to get to meet her in Opatia and to hang out with her and we talked a little bit about translation and yes I will never Never know how poetic or except when people tell me uh, you know how well the translation was done um, but we did talk a little bit about and she was telling me somehow that uh, a little bit with the, the choice of Kosmara, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Koshmara. Koshmara mm -hmm. is a little bit different of a word than maybe would have been primarily yeah, used in is. Croatian. It's, it's, it sounds like or cake or something like that yeah it the, would be Mora it's like a nightmare, mm -hmm. Mora. Yeah. And Koshmar is something that I wouldn't use in ordinary language. Yeah, so she was telling language. me that a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I think that's so interesting to, you know, to witness the yeah. choices like that. And um, sometimes when I'm writing, I, I definitely I'll have a moment where I'm like, a moment of pity for the future translators. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that my writing style uh, must be very challenging because I, I use a lot of figurative language, a lot of metaphor, and I also invent a lot of words and um, break all of the rules of, of grammar and usage and syntax and so um, uh, for effect. And so I know that it must be not the easiest book. This is to like translate. a public apology from you yes. to all the translators. <laughs> yes, and a, and a and a thank you and gratitude <laughs> to translators. Yeah, uh, you published Muse of Nightmares in 2018. Yes, right. Yeah. So, to ask you the question that I think all of the authors hate, especially George R. R. Martin, <laughs> what is happening with the new book? <laughs> um, the new book is late. It has been late for a while now, but it is almost finished. Um, and it's been strange. Uh, it's my first adult book, but you know, that is, um, my, my books are published as adult in some markets, you know, in England, okay. they're published as adult in Australia and some market, I don't know. Uh, so it doesn't, I don't think it's going to be, feel so different to people, but it, it is in a different world. Um, and 
I just, you know, it's been an experience of, you know, I've already explained how I can't see the story from the beginning. And I've described this one as like, you're trying to draw a life model, but every time you look down, she moves. <laughs> um, so the story just, it, it's not that the story keeps changing. The basics are the same, but there's a lot of pieces that have to fit. I've, I have so many writing metaphors. It's like a, it's like, this is a, like a Rubik's cube with like a thousand sides and you solve one side and then you look and you realize the other sides are all messed <laughs> up. Um, so it's been really, um, it's been tricky, but I think also I've just been processing a lot of just world stuff and um, that, you know, it's been interesting for all of us these last few years, but um, but I think part of when I'm writing a book, you know, all those things are um, coming out in some way and uh, definitely is the case with this book. It ends up having um, like a, a big environmental component, like a, I mean, it doesn't, I, maybe it won't feel that way to the reader, but until the, you know, it will, it's a different, it's, it's been this sort of retreat because, you know, I feel with climate catastrophe and everything just is weighing so much on me that this book was a, it was a sort of a solace because it's a vision of the way we could live in the world uh, instead of the way we do live in the world and, um, you know, and the way we treat the world. <laughs> um, but that's not primary part of the story. That's just the way it is in the book. And, um, and just trying to figure out, I guess, the story, I'm like on the surface, what I'm thinking of is figuring out the story, but underneath that, uh, I'm figuring out other things. And even though I don't necessarily know what they are, I, it, nothing, it doesn't come together until those things come together and appear on the page. And, um, you know, there's a lot of examples in, in my other books, like in Strange and Muse, like things that I didn't think were important at the beginning of the book. I just came up with something because it was cool and interesting, like the character of Minya, mm -hmm. who's um, a six-year-old girl who's been six years old for 15 years and she doesn't grow up. And I just thought that was cool and interesting. And then lo and behold, uh, by the end of the book, you know, if you find out, I found out, realized along the way what it meant that um, the six-year-old survivor of trauma had not aged and had, you know, what it, what it meant what had really been going on with her and she really became the emotional core of the book um, for me and, and, and so meaningful in ways that I had not consciously realized or planned and I think that the book would be not the book that it is without, without her. And uh, so I think I'm, I'm always giving that sort of thing, you know, the space to form while I'm working on the surface of the story and what happens and, and I might not know why it feels right or doesn't feel right um, until finally everything comes together. And so I'm always sort of trying things, hoping for that feeling of it coming together and being bigger than I had planned, bigger than the sum of its parts. And so it's like, I don't know, it's like a kind of summoning, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, I was saying in my speech at the, at the festival that it's like, you know, in fairy tales where the, character meets an old lady at the crossroads and she wants a drink of water and then you know the the two mean sisters turn her away but then this the young sister or brother the good one the, the fairy tales it's always the youngest that's the good one um well, i have a younger brother i i would disagree with you well no don't disagree. no i'm a middle child so i I'm also disagree as well. yes it's a, just in fairy tales right it's always the youngest that's the virtuous one the, the what that gives the old 
crone a drink of water and then gets a gift for it <laughs> because the old crone is, of course, a fairy in disguise. And so I was comparing it. This ridiculous, inefficient writing process that I have is like going into the forest every day with your pitcher of water, hoping there'll be an old lady that is thirsty, <laughs> you know, that you can give her a drink and she will give you magic. That she's not always there, but you have to keep going because one day maybe she will be. And so that's what I think writing a novel is like for me. Keep going into the forest with a pitcher of water, hoping that the witch will be there. The good witch. Could you give us an elevator pitch for your new book? I cannot because um, oh, no. it is not announced yet. Oh, yes. Okay. My publisher has, I think they're waiting for the author to finish it before they <laughs> announce, they announce it. it. <laughs> yeah, because, so. because it, we w don't want it to turn for a George novel, uh, the George R. R. Martin story, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I saw something recently that it was the first thing I'd seen in a long time that maybe indicated that he actually maybe would finish it. I don't know. Yeah, no, he always gives <laughs> some hints like that, but I stopped yeah. trusting him. Yeah, a long Yeah, I feel time a lot ago. of compassion for him. <laughs> I mean, that it's story is so huge. I don't know. I can't even imagine having that many characters at, at large at once. And it's to just, bring them oh, at one yes. point. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 really rooting for it because and I stopped watching the show, but from what I hear, um that's not the ending I want. You know, I yeah. want him to write. I want the ending he would write now and see what it would be and to redeem, redeem the, <laughs> the showrunners. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so more than ever, I'm hoping now that he finishes it. But if he doesn't, I just feel feel I don't feel too bad because, you know, I think he's got a pretty good life. <laughs> but but it can't be fun. All that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I um, presume it can. Um, now that you've mentioned it, uh, what kind of books do you like to read? And what are authors influenced you as a writer? Um, I like to read all kinds of books, but I do think, uh, you know, what I love the most is fantasy. And um, the, I would say the most influential were those ones back uh, that got me reading, you know, reading and writing fantasy again. And I've mentioned a few times. Um, so the Sabriel books by Garth Nix, are those in Croatian? Uh, Do you know? Not, uh, not oh, that should, I've heard of. You should check those but out. I, they've, I will they've, turn um, around to your publisher now. Uh, <laughs> we did an event together recently with our, we have the same Italian publisher, and they were having like a, I think they're maybe their 30th anniversary or 25th anniversary. They've been around for a long time. They were one of the earliest YA fantasy successes, really, in this sort of newer industry. Um, and were very formative for the genre, I think, because all of us, of a, you know, of a certain age, you know, read that. I didn't read it as a teenager. I read it in my, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and was like, wow. And they're just really cool books. He's Australian, and um, he's written a lot of books. But the, the, that series just uh, keeps on going. It's like so uh, fans love it, and it keeps getting new editions everywhere. Like that's what we did the event. Just got a new Italian edition. Um, so that those, and then the the Dark Materials books by Philip Pullman were, so those were two series that I read, um, you know, when I was dabbling in writing and um, trying to find my voice, I guess, and it sort of like opened the doors to fantasy again. So I like to, yeah, I like to say those. Um, some of the other writers that I really love are, uh, one of my favorite writers is from New Zealand and her name is Elizabeth Knox. Mm -hmm. And she writes young adult and adult Re literary fiction, horror, fantasy, everything, but it's always 
um, like really beautiful and literary, but also like has the payoff that you want from fantasy uh, or horror or whatever, like genre payoff, but literary writing. It's really cool stuff. And, um, and Frances Harding in UK, I really love her writing. Uh, I don't know, there's, there's very many, but yeah. I've read somewhere that there will be a movie about the <laughs> <laughs> daughter of uh, Smoke and Bone. Is there any truth to it? Uh, at this point, there is not any truth to it. Um, the, the, it was in development some years ago at Universal, and it got through a lot of stages of development, but not all the stages. So that, um, that went away and I got the rights back. Um, and so, you know, we're hoping there's some things, you know, we're talking about now, but I, you know, I have learned how, how just, you know, lightning has to strike really just in the right place for, <laughs> for anything to happen. Um, that just need, there's so many things that have to come together. And I, so I try not to like ever get my hopes up about it because I have no control, but it's fun to have the conversations with, uh, you know, people in the business and talk about it, but it's just, uh, yeah, and I, you know, hopefully there will, it's, hopefully there will be more, con continually more original adaptations of books um, and original scripts as well versus just remakes of the same things over and over. That gets really frustrating. You know? Yeah, this is actually my last question to you because um, currently we're witnessing two phenomena. Uh, one is Netflix and the adaptations of, I think, almost every young adult book <laughs> there is. And also BookTok, um, a movement on TikTok, uh, which made a lot of uh, kids read more. We're witnessing it in Croatia and we're witnessing it in the world. So did it have any effect on your or your books? Well, so Netflix, the, the YA books that you're mostly seeing, with some exceptions, are um, the less expensive ones to make. Like they're they're not fantasy, except for some like Shadow and Bone. Yeah. Um, so there are some big budget things. But the ones that you're seeing a lot of are the ones that they can make for less money because fantasy is just really expensive and so yeah i mean i've watched sandman yesterday and it's oh the my god it's so beautiful isn't it <laughs> yeah it is oh. and it, and actually when i was reading about your um strange the dreamer book it kind of reminded me of the sandman so yeah i'm like yeah my husband and i were joking we were we haven't finished it yet um we've maybe seen five episodes and we were like just get this creative team to do it because <laughs> it's so beautifully done um but uh but yeah, it's it's definitely harder for something that's going I mean, to cost a lot. I mean, it's really, really, really expensive. So yeah, yeah. and so that, they have to, yeah, the, things have to come together. And Netflix, I mean, we've seen all the craziness with Netflix this year and their business, you know, and they canceling successful shows and the way they decide what to make and what to continue is like based on some thing that nobody in the world understands except for them. <laughs> and it's just frustrating, like some of the things they've canceled that were, I don't know. It's so I don't know, but. That said, um, that kind of streaming platform, whether it's Netflix or somebody else, would be, you know, the ideal for, for sure. Books, and yeah. so one hopes that they continue to make big budget fantasy. Uh, um, you know, we had there's some things that came out this year. Uh, you know, the, besides Shadow and Bone, there was the Wheel of Time. Mm -hmm. um, we've got the Lord of the Rings stuff coming out. <sighs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. No? I, no, I didn't like the trailer very much, but I'm looking forward to House of Dragon. Mm. I mean, yeah, I read some things about that that made me go, Arr! but it looks really cool. Yeah. And um, so fingers crossed. For yeah. And I hope to be. I hope that the the Tolkien will be good. I don't know. I think the trailer looked I thought it looked pretty cool. 
with some of the characters. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so I hope. I hope that that continues to be a thing because they're so trend driven. And so if something gets spent, they spend a lot of money on, does badly, then everybody, everyone's afraid to do something in this it's similar. Only with fantasy, though. If it's um, action movie, like when action. But yeah. even rom coms kind of went away. You know, there used to be so many. And like yeah. now it's really hard to find rom coms even. Or maybe they're coming back. But, <laughs> but like action movies for sure or thrillers or even sci-fi or like those as long as they're masculine they can do as badly as they want and there'll be a million more of them it doesn't have any effect <laughs> i don't know but so like always i'm always praying for fantasy to do well so that they'll just have this the courage to do more okay and are you trending on book talk maybe i don't like i haven't <laughs> it you know i'm only sort of very vaguely aware of how that works and um i'm not on tiktok i don't aren't I don't. we all <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, i think it's really cool but I, i i'm i'm not sure i understand like who's who's driving the success of the phenomenon or like if the creators like the authors have to be good on tiktok or if it's just the no i think it's just a matter of who the yeah. who the book talkers like and what yeah. they choose to promote like i don't know it's i know the publishers are like Hmm, like how can we make use of this? But I think the idea whole the whole the whole beauty of it is that it's, it's spontaneous. Really yeah. yeah. It's really natural. Yeah. So, yeah, when you hear like, you know, marketing departments being like, how can we Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> make it viral. Yeah. It doesn't usually work like that. Right. So, I don't know. Um, but I love that 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 you know, whenever there's a new passionate community, uh, I don't know what is there like a particular kind of book that's doing well? It seems like more like indie published stuff, right? Actually, there is. Uh, we've noticed like uh, huge sales uh, regarding to Colleen Hoover, and she's really popular on TikTok. And was I she think, an indie published originally? Uh, she was originally. Yeah, because it yeah, seemed to me published. like that was like a lot of those authors were indie romance authors. I think authors. that she was. Uh, Firstly on Wattpad and then she published uh, her own books and then she got a publisher or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but now oh like, my God, yeah. we can't get enough of her It Ends With Us, which is which was published in I think 2017 and now it's 2022 and they're, they're still selling like crazy. Yeah, it's funny. It's Sometimes I'll see a bestseller list and they'll be like somebody on it five times that I've never heard of and then I know it's like a viral indie author that just like boom overnight, you know, I'm like who is that? <laughs> And then you start seeing it everywhere, you know. Okay, yeah. so hashtag Lainey Taylor, hashtag oh, hey, daughter of What's the pixie dust I need to sprinkle on TikTok? For, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's really, really cool that, uh, that that community exists for sure. I think it's really cool you came here today. And thank you so much for this conversation. And I hope that you'll visit Croatia on another time and not just convention related. Ah, yes, me too. There's so much more of the country that I would love to see. And thank you for having me. It was Very really welcome. fun talking I'm to you. I'm looking forward to your new book. Thank you. Whenever it comes out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I need to go home and finish it. So. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah.